0: Uh, this morning, as we, as we uh, take communion, I thought um, I, we, we would talk about uh, why was Jesus on the cross? Why did, why did Jesus go to the cross for us? Why do we uh, take time on a regular basis to participate in communion? What are, we, what are we looking back on? What are we being thankful for? And so, um, we're, going to, we're going to do that this morning. I uh, want to just start, though. Um, just thinking about this series that we start next week on origins, uh, would you agree that most people have their, uh, their ideas, maybe their opinions, maybe uh, they understand to be facts on where we came from, who God is, how the world came to be? Is there, are there a lot of ideas out there? Would you agree on that? Um, I, I certainly uh, do think so. And so, as we, as we approach this series starting next week, but even as we approach God's Word this morning, or any time we approach God's Word, we want to be careful um, about how we do that. We, we talked about this back in the fall, so this is just um, a little review. There's, there's a couple of different ways to look at Scripture. One is exegesis, and the other is eisegesis. And you, you remember we talked about this a little bit? Pop quiz, could anybody get 100% on the difference between the two? Let's just review. Exegesis is what uh, I would consider the proper interpretation of Scripture, which means that we we pull out of the text the meaning that God intended to convey. In other words, when God inspired uh, these men to write the Scripture, he had something that he wanted to communicate. And so, as we read Scripture today, we want to know what God intended to communicate. That's exegesis, just a big word that means we're going to read the text, and we're going to draw out of the text what God has for us. Um, now, eisegesis is uh, not so great. Eisegesis says that I have an idea, and I'm going to look for in, the, in God's Word to support my thoughts and ideas. Uh, so. Um, and, and, and the, the way from, to remember it, eisegesis, it sounds like there's a big capital I there at the beginning. It's more about what do I think and can I find some scriptures to support it than what does the Bible say? So, in other words, are, are, are my thoughts and ideas shaping what God's Word says? Or is what God's Word says shaping how I think and understand it? So uh, it's important that we, uh, when we read the text, we're looking to see what does God say and that we're not um, because of our, maybe unintentionally even, we've got some uh, ideas and and biases. Or maybe it's intentional, uh, heaven forbid, that we want to support something that we feel strongly about. So we want to use um, exegesis. What does the Bible say? Um, and so, we ask lots of questions, um, like who, who was writing the passage, who was he writing the passage to, what was going on at that time, um, how, would the, how would the audience have understood the message, how does it apply to us today, uh, what was written in the chapter before, what's written in the chapter afterwards, how does it fit into the Bible as a whole. We want to ask those questions as we're reading the Scripture. So. Um, Let's pray together and uh, pray that we can exegete well this morning. How does that sound? Heavenly Father, uh, we need you in every aspect of, of our lives. And certainly, as we open up your Word, uh, we need your, uh, your guidance as we, as we read it, as we understand it. And Lord, I pray that we're, we're not just a church that knows a lot about your Word, uh, but we put it into practice when we leave these doors. And uh, so, Lord, help us to do that this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're, so, we're, we're, we're going to look at the first three chapters of Romans this morning, um, and I wanted, we're just asking the question, why, why are we, we going to take communion at the end of the service? Why, do we, why do, are we so thankful for what Jesus did for us? Why do we celebrate um, His death, burial, and resurrection? And I think the first three chapters of Romans helps us to see it. So, let's just read the first uh, seven verses to get started. Uh, It says, uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, so we know already who wrote it. Paul wrote it. uh, Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So uh, Paul's writing about the gospel of God, saying that God promised it in the Old Testament Scriptures. And it's concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power. So he had a human lineage and he also was uh, the son of God. In power according to the spirit of God of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is what he's writing about. The, the, um, the uh, power according to the spirit of holiness, the resurrection of Jesus Christ through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So he said this, this gospel is for all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So we're about to find out who he's writing to. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be the saints. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul uh, identifies himself. He also identifies who he's writing to. He's writing to Christians who live in the city of Rome. Now maybe they, we could, you could argue they live in, in, in Rome, just sort of the greater area, controlled by Rome. But Paul often talked about wanting to go to the city of Rome, and in fact later in, in the chapter he talks about wanting to be there with them. And so we're, we're pretty confident that he's writing to Christians who lived in the city of Rome, and and certainly these Christians lived in a sinful Roman culture. Uh, the Romans were polytheistic, which means they worshipped all kinds of gods. Many of our uh, planets. Uh, that we that we have are named after Roman gods, and so they worshipped many different gods. Um, their worship was uh, hedonistic; it was centered around self-indulgent, sensual pleasure. It was not uh, it was not how we worship today. It was not how God would have anyone to worship. Uh, and so they 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 had this idea. They had a creation account that there was chaos at the beginning of the world, and there were elements. Earth and air and fire and water and somehow they all separated to form the world that we live in today. So they had this creation um, idea that they that they believed in. And they believed that the gods uh, of, of times past created men today, and there was there was uh, uh, a man was descended from gods, but they were also attaining to be gods. It was a confusing religion that they believed in, and this is where these these Christian believers lived in this. In this um, in this Roman in this Roman city, and so uh, Paul is writing to these Christians, and and I would say and, and I think many would argue with me that Romans chapter one verse sixteen is really the theme for the whole verse. And so um, and we're not we're not going verse by verse through the first three chapters this morning. We're going to kind of jump jump through. So. Uh, Going down to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul's saying, this is why I'm writing. Uh, the gospel is the power of God, and it will bring salvation to anyone who believes. And Paul, as we, you, you know, as you read through the New Testament, Paul would go to a town or to a village or to a city. He would go to the Jewish synagogue first, and he would preach to them, and then he would go to the rest of the city. Um, and so, when we see this word that he went to the Jews first and then he went to the Greek, your translation might say Gentile. And that word literally means a, uh, someone of Greek nationality. That's what the word means. It's Someone of Greek nationality. Someone who was born in Greece. Now the Jewish people had a second meaning for it. If you were Jewish, the second meaning for that word was anyone who's not a Jew. And so, that's why some Bibles will translate it as Gentiles, which is a, it would, would hold to that sort of Jewish understanding of the word instead of the word Greek. So, Paul's writing, I'm writing this to the Jewish person, I'm writing it to the Gentile. In other words, he's saying, I am writing that the power of the gospel is for anyone. Everyone, anyone living or breathing, that's who the gospel's for. And, uh, and Paul's not ashamed of it, he wants to preach it uh, for everyone to hear and to know. And so uh, he, he continues in these in these next uh, chap, the rest of chapter one and chapter two, and he identifies some people, and uh, I would say there's there's three groups of people that he's identifying. There's the immoral person, there is the moral person, and then he would write specifically to the Jewish person. So. Um, Uh, If if your Bible has subtitles, uh, maybe it would use the word unrighteous. Or mine says, God's wrath um, on unrighteousness. So he's writing here to this, this first group, and he says, look, the truth about God is all around you, and yet you are suppressing God's truth. Uh, Romans 1, and 23 says that these people, they claimed to be wise, and yet they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So in other words, Paul's saying, you've got the immortal God that you can worship, and instead of worshiping God, you're choosing to worship animals to worship other people, to worship any, anything else that you can create and build and, and set on a pedestal. And, uh, and, and it, um, it continues in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed for, forever, amen. So in these verses, uh, he's identifying how they worship, and they say, you, he says you could be worshiping the true God, and instead you've suppressed the truth, and you're worshiping the created instead of the uh, creator. He says that they, um, they're, they're, they're uh, serving the creature rather than the creator. Uh, that they they're worshiping these idols that they they built instead of the Creator. So God says, then, as a result of this, in in verses um, uh, 26, really through the end of the chapter, He's saying He He gives a list of of at least 25 sins that He gives them over to, and and particularly here at the beginning, He's talking about, look, you could have been worshiping Me, and instead you're worshiping. Things you're worshiping each other, and and their worship in the temple, in in their pagan temples, um, the the way they conducted their worship was was even evidence of that. It was it was immoral. It was debased, and and then in verse um, twenty twenty eight, as he's listing the variety of sins that they have just embraced instead of embracing God, uh, so uh, in verse twenty. Uh, 5 excuse me they said they're going to worship the creator the created instead of the creator and then he says in verse 28 and you did not even see fit to acknowledge God so, in other words, they wouldn't worship God, and they wouldn't acknowledge that God had a plan for them. And God set out rules and guidelines and a, a basis for which we were to live our lives. And so, he said, because you didn't even acknowledge that there was a God of the universe, someone who created this world, and we should live by his rules, he said, God gave him up to a debased mind to do whatever, um, to do what ought not to be done, and he lists, continues to list uh, uh, just the, the sinful lifestyle that these immoral people embraced. So essentially, he's writing, to, he, he's writing to a group of people, and he's saying, these are the people that need the gospel. There's a group of people, they have rejected God. They said, I don't need God. I'm going to do whatever I want. I will worship whatever I want. I will prioritize whatever I want. I will live in any way that satisfies me and gives me a step up in life. Paul said, these people need the gospel. But then he continues in chapter 2, and he says, these aren't the only people that need the gospel, because he says, some people would judge these people and say, man, you guys are, that's bad living. I I can't believe you would behave that way. I would never behave that way. And so, uh, in Romans chapter 2, he says, um, Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practices the very same things. Now, maybe you're not out on the public square, but within us, we're, we are all sinful beings. We might look at someone and say, man, that's not, that's not right. They shouldn't be doing that. And yet we go home and, and we, we fail to do the things that we know that we should do. He says in verse 2, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Yes, God will judge them. And yes, that is right. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them, the, do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and uh, impenetent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So, so there was a group of people that were just throwing all caution to the wind. They did anything they wanted, whenever they wanted, and, and Paul says, these people need the gospel. But then there was a group of people that would stand back and say, man, I can't believe those people would live that kind of life. They're, 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 they're terrible, they're immoral, they're debased. I would never do that. Uh, I'm going to live by a moral standard that, I have, that, I, that I, I have a conscience. I won't do that. And yet, uh, even someone who would say, your sin's not okay, we all have our own sins, don't we? And Paul says, uh, the immoral person stands condemned before God. He says, the moral person stands condemned before God. But then, then Paul, being a Jew himself and knowing the customs and the religions and the rituals that many people uh, would follow, uh, writes to the Jewish person uh, uh, who would have probably even lived according to the law of Moses. And so um, the, the Jewish people, they had the law. Of course, they had a history where sometimes they were faithful to obey, sometimes they were not so faithful to obey. But after the Babylonian exile, they, they really tightened things up and they really said, okay, we have got to get things right. We don't want to be judged again. And so the, the many Jewish people in the first century were very devout. Uh, they, there were, there were uh, synagogues in every town. There was a the temple of Jerusalem. They worshiped every Saturday. They were sure to follow the laws of Moses. They were devout, religious, uh, upright people. And then uh, this is what Paul says to them in Romans chapter 2, verse 17. You call yourself a Jew, and you rely on the law, and you boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent. This sounds like this is a commendation. uh, Because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light who are in darkness, an f- instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children. Paul's saying, look, you guys are doing all the right things. You're, you're following the law. You're teaching people. What does God's uh, word say? And how should you uh, deal with this situation? And what principle applies here? And they were, they were teaching, and they were uh, devout, and they were uh, being obedient. But this is what he says, Romans 2.23. Again, we're just, we're summarizing. We're not looking at every verse. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Nobody gets it all right. Even this morning, I said, look out, and I think, man, you guys are doing great. Great you know we're 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 serving food and we're giving clothes to the to uh, those who are in need we are studying our bibles in, in in bible studies we're bringing the kids to camp this summer and we're putting on a camp so we can teach the children and yet we're in sin nobody lives a life perfectly even those who are, who even us this morning coming to church and, and being obedient and worshiping god Aren't you glad for forgiveness? So this is, this is what Paul, he's, Paul's writing to the Christians who live in Rome. And he knows the, the, the world that they live in. And so he addresses the fact that, uh, that these, the, the immorality that they see around them needs to be judged and will be judged by God, that these people are, are, are wrong in what, the way that they live. But he, he also knows that there are some moral people who would take the high ground and say, man, this is, this is terrible living. And he says, these people are in sin. And then there's those who would be religious and and, and thinking that if I do everything right, God will be happy with me. And Paul says, they're in sin as well. So there's a conclusion here uh, when we get to Romans chapter 3, and uh, turn to verse 9. What then? Are we, the Jews, any better off? They knew what God wanted. They had the law. They had the guidelines. They had the synagogues. They had the temple. Are we better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles, the whole world are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one." Everyone, as Romans uh, 2, verse 5, we read already, says, we're storing up wrath for the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. No one lives apart from sin. You, me, this side, people at other churches this morning, we all are under sin. But there's the good news Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, or the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why we we take communion on a regular basis, because even though we are in sin, people maybe that we would judge as living an immoral lifestyle, a licentious lifestyle, they're in sin. People who would not claim God, but living pretty morally and pretty upright, trying to f- follow their conscience the best they can, they're in sin. But we have Jesus, who went to the cross and paid the price for the sins of the world. This is the gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ gives. And Later on, in, in, a little bit further down, Romans chapter 3 still, verse 21. But now, so Paul's saying the immoral are, are in sin, the moral, moral are in sin. Those are just trying to be good and follow the law of Moses. They are in sin. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. The immoral have not found righteousness. The moral have not found righteousness. The religious have not found righteousness. Righteousness is found in a person named Jesus Christ. He went to the cross on our behalf, and when we put our faith and trust in Him, believing that His payment on the cross was sufficient for my sin, was sufficient for your sin, Scripture says that we receive this gift of eternal life. So we're going to take communion this morning together, and my question to you is, what is your response to this gift? Have you, have you received this free gift of salvation that comes through Jesus? Would you identify as the immoral, just, look, I'll do whatever I want, when I want. I'm just here because my mom wanted me to come on a holiday weekend. Are, are, you, the, are you the moral person that says, look, I really don't, I, I don't need church, I'm, I'm just going to do what I'm going to follow my inner self? Uh, I have a conscience, and that's good enough for me. I'll do well for other people, and hopefully they'll do well for me. That's, that's how I'm going to live my life. Or, or perhaps you're here every week because you think that's the right thing to do. And if you come to church enough times, if, you, if you're in church more than you're not in church, maybe that will count for something. Scripture says that every one of us need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to receive the free gift of eternal life. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful today that when you look down on the world and you saw the sin and the death, uh, you, saw, you saw people going astray without hope, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. He lived a perfect life and he paid the price that, for sin that each one of us deserve to pay. And When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we say, I believe that I'm a sinner, God. I believe that you sent your son. I believe that Jesus' death paid for my sin. And we enter into a relationship with you. One where there's hope, where there's love, where there's forgiveness, where there's freedom. And there's this hope of eternal life with you one day. If, if you're here this morning, you've never acknowledged that before God, you've never prayed to receive salvation, today's the day that you can do that. We're gonna take communion together and this is a celebration. Uh, communion is for believers, remembering what Jesus did for them. And maybe today you could take communion for the first time, remembering that Jesus went to the cross for you. You could just talk to God this morning and just say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I have gone astray. I've gone my own way. And today, I believe that Jesus paid for my sins. And I have faith that because he paid for my sin, one day I'll live with you. If that's the prayer on your heart this morning, I invite you at at the close of the service, just come to the front. One of our elders or pastors will be here and would love to talk with you more about that. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.